Hi, Rodney Jane here. Be safe these holidays with Bob Jane T-Mart's great getaway deals. Buy three, get the fourth tyre free on selected Bridgestone, Yokohama, Dunlop and J-Tracks. Up to $100 instant cash back on a range of Michelin, Continental, Goodyear, Bob Jane Zenon and Moto Sport X. Alloy wheels from only $125 and tyres from just $69, all with our best tyre price guarantee. We'll look after you. Test and apply. These two do not like each other. There are two parts of the story as always. Red flag. This is a suspended uh, race. Hey, it is the Parked Up Podcast. We are powered by Race Fuels here. I'm Grant Rowley and Christmas is very, very close. Christmas trees are up and there's presents coming underneath and Santa's coming real soon. We're getting pretty excited for uh, one of the absolute best times of the year, as long as the East Coast weather can kind of look after us, I reckon we'll uh, we'll be in for a really nice summer. And uh, look, if you like listening to podcasts about motorsport, then uh, we have you covered here. Of course, this is Parked Up and we have Parked Up Plus that comes out every Monday. We've got the Napa Auto Parts Grassroots Racing Podcast, a brand new one just dropped last week. Uh, and even our good friends, the girls on the grid, they're making podcasts again. So tis the season to be listening to pods as you're driving up and down the roads, visiting family, or still doing work if you've still got to do work, whatever the case might be. Um, but in this podcast, I have uh, three really cool guests. I spoke to uh, James McFadden. Now he is driving the Napa Auto Parts entry in the grand annual classic which is coming up soon he's actually starting his campaign towards the classic now if you don't know what the classic is the classic is the biggest sprint car race in australia it's the one that everyone wants to win it's the bathurst 1000 of sprint car races that comes up at the end of january james and his team which is led by tim hodges um will start their campaign this weekend uh, in warnable They've got like 50 or 60 cars which are uh, competing there for Max's race, which is named and run after the the great man, Max Dumsney. Uh, so I caught up with James as he gets into the groove, having uh, competed over in America in uh, the most competitive sprint car titles in the world, of course, the world of outlaws. Uh, and he's back here in Australia, raised in Warrnambool, and he's getting ready for a tilt to try and win another grand annual classic. So uh, so I grabbed him for a chat earlier. And we have, as promised from Parked Up Plus, Mark Fogarty has two big extended chats, the full chats that you'll hear very soon. You heard little snippets in Parked Up Plus on Monday. The first will be with Garth Tander. He made the shock announcement during the week that he was leaving Triple Eight and as as co-driver and leaving to go race for Groves in their fledgling Ford team. So exciting news for the Groves, exciting news for Garth uh, and and folks had a uh, in-depth chat with Garth about the reasons for behind his switch and uh, his hopes and dreams of driving a Ford for the very first time in something like over 600 supercars races he's competed. And every single one of them have been with that lion badge at the front of the car. So no more Holden. Holden's gone. 
Garth's left, Garth's gone to the Blue Oval, and Fogues was one of the first to catch up with him. And I've got the full chat, which is going to come up. And also I've got uh, the full chat that Fogues had with David Noble. So David is the new CEO at Dick Johnson Racing. Of course, they run the Shell V-Power racing cars in the Supercars Championship. He is a former North Melbourne coach. And Fogues has uh, had a detailed chat with him, some of which, of course, you heard him parked up. Plus, I've got the full interview here for you. There's a uh, about a full hour's worth of great podcasting to come up for you. I really hope you enjoy it. And first, I've got to start with James McFadden. Born and raised here in Australia, has only ever raced sprint cars his entire life. He currently races races at the top level of sprint cars in the world of outlaws over in the States. He's won a number of races. He actually won a race very recently in one of the final rounds of world of outlaws. He's coming down here to try and win uh, the grand annual classic. He'll be driving the Napa auto parts entry uh, over various selected races of this summer he was a cool chat, and here he is, James McFadden on Parked Up. Hey, it's great to have James McFadden on the Parked Up podcast. James, you've come back from uh, the States, and you're getting ready for a, a pretty cool adventure back into the uh, Australian sprint car world. You'll be driving the Napa Auto Parts car for uh, Hodges Motorsport, new entry, and all aimed around trying to win the 50th Grand Annual Classic at Warrnambool. You're from Warrnambool. You've won that race before, but uh, this one might be uh, a little bit extra special. Uh, what's it like being back in Australia and getting ready to get back into it? Yeah, thanks for having me um, on. The, it's good to be home. Uh, good to be back in Warrnambool, although the weather hasn't been great. But uh, excited for the new venture. It's um, you know, It's something new for us. It's something uh to get excited about we, we race a lot in america so to come home and and have a new new group of people that are really really excited to be a part of it and then obviously having napper on board as a major sponsor is is pretty awesome so uh really excited for the race it's it's my favorite race of the year and being the 50th uh running of the race it's uh it's going to be a pretty special race so hopefully um we can stand up on top of that podium and uh and spray some winter champagne You've done that before, of course, for this event, but, and, and this, the, the, uh, the grand annual classic it's run at the end of January uh, and it's regarded as the Bathurst 1000 of the, in the sprint car world, in, in the Australian sprint car world. Why is this event so special? Um, yeah, it's, you know, I, I would think it'd be one of the top five events in the world for, for sprint car racing, which is pretty crazy and shut, you know, a small town like Warrnambool. So, um, I think it's special one because the town gets behind it and to the history, you know, we've had a lot of Americans come over and try and win this race. We've had all the great Australian drivers over the time win this race. And then, you know, we get 10, 15,000 people over the, every night for those three nights. And it's just a, it's just a great event. The whole town, like I said, gets behind it. You, you drive through Warrnambool and there's, semi trucks parked on the on the medium strips working on race cars so mm -hmm. you know there's not a lot of places that that allow that and do that and um it's just a big community event so a special race um 
and it's one that you know when I was a kid I, I grew up watching it and and I grew up wanting to to be a part of it and then and then win it so to have done that is is an honor and um like I said I'd, I'd like to put my name in the record books again yeah cool uh okay so you've got a uh a, a neat little lead up into the classic of course the classic is the one that you want to win it's the one that uh, everyone wants to win but I, I guess having raced in America for uh, for the past year, this uh, next couple of weeks are pretty critical to just get back in the flow. This weekend you're at Warrnambool. There's uh, a lot of entries. You were just saying just before there was like 55 confirmed at the moment. There might even be more uh, come in because we've had some weather. Not many people have had the chance to get out on the track. A lot of rain outs um yeah so so how crucial is these next few weeks with premier speedway in warnable this weekend and then i think you've got mount gambier and as long as things are all going okay some some more stuff at avalon and and back to warnable yeah how crucial are those uh these events leading into the classic yeah very crucial you know we will use especially uh this weekend more as of a shakedown with the new car it's it's a new configuration for me as well i haven't used the the chassis brand and i feel the the rolling parts on the car so uh, between that and the different rules in america with tires and and wings and stuff that that are a little different um it takes me you know a, a few laps to to acclimatize to racing back in australia so yeah, I'll uh, I'll use these as much these next few nights as much as I can to build a notebook and and try and you know get a comfortable um, spot that the car likes and and that I'm happy with and and then yeah work hard on trying to get the setup and um, everything we need right for the classic. So these these next few races are crucial. Um, one for confidence with the team and and two just getting ourselves in a spot that we think we can win this race. Yeah, very exciting. So, uh, so tell us, uh, you race in the world of outlaws in the states. It's the highest level of sprint car racing anywhere in the world. How different is it to? Well, firstly, to t- tell me about the cars. How different are they to driving uh, from from what you are used to in the states? And you do a lot of racing over there, um, typically in sh- in in a in a short period as well. So uh, you, you get to drive those cars a lot. Um, but how different are they to what you're going to race in the Australian summer? Uh, fundamentally, the cars are, are very similar, but we have um, different tyre rules. So we have a different compound tyre. So um, America's tyres are a fair bit harder. And it's also two inches narrower. So there's a lot less grip um, compared to an Australian tyre. And then there's also the wings. Um, the top wings in America are, are non-dished and they are not allowed to have kickouts and all that stuff that we are allowed in Australia. So basically all that means um, is that Australia has a lot more grip than America. Um, so the feel of the race car is totally different. But I think the biggest difference is the, uh, the size and the speeds of the track in America are a lot higher than what they are in Australia. So getting used to sort of turning the car a lot more and, and being in a, a more of a uh, confined space is, is also tough, to, uh, tough to, to wrap your head around. So, you know, we race 90 races in America um, with the World of Outlaws, um, 
you know, and we, we travel the whole, you know, the whole country. So there's so many different tracks and, and dirt types and, you know, great local competitors. It's, uh, it's tough, but, but our job is to adapt as fast as we can to, to each track. So yeah, it's a, it's a different world. Um, the world of outlaw sprint car series is, is the most grueling series in the world. Um, if you ask me with, with how many races and how much travel we do. So yeah, definitely uh, entertaining life at the moment. The, uh, the, when, when you talked about the differences between the Australian cars and the American cars just made me think instantly of NASCAR versus supercars, NASCAR, low downforce, uh, skinnier tires and faster circuits where Australia, we've got higher downforce, grippier tires, and, and in most cases, slower, smaller tracks. Um, the Australians do it one way. The Americans do it another. Um, it, it's crazy some for, for a race fan uh, like myself, why does Australia always look for more grip and uh, you know more error? Yeah, I don't I don't know. That's a really good question. I think um, in America they really tried to slow us down because a lot of the tracks are you know half mile compared to your quarter mile tracks here in Australia. So your speeds are up there a lot. So basically, I think they tried to to slow us down a little bit, but. In turn, we didn't really slow down, but they just become a lot sketchier to drive. So um, I think that, and then, um, yeah, the tyre rules in Australia have, you know, been the same since I really started racing, you know, 15 years ago. So, yeah, I don't know whether we just, we just haven't got to that, um, that side of things yet. From all accounts, I feel like we're, we're heading more towards the American side of things into the future. So it'll be interesting to see what the next few years brings, but it makes it hard for a driver that, that, you know, races in both continents. It's um, it makes it tough to, to adapt quickly. And, you know, the local guys in Australia do a really good job because they've been on, you know, the same tires and wings and setups that they've been running for the last 10 years. So it makes it tough when I come home and, and especially in a, in a new program. So yeah, I think we, like I said before, the, these next few races are going to be crucial for us for sure. Yeah, cool. Yeah, so how how hard? Where where do you see the uh, the big competition coming from? Of course, uh, your Casey Kane racing teammate Brad Sweet, who seems to just do winning for fun. If anything, he's like the the uh, Shane Van Gisbergen of uh, of supercars or or sprint cars at the moment, where um, where he's won the past four World of Outlaws titles now. Uh, he's your teammate and you get to see how he goes about his business. He'll be racing against you in a similar Napa colored car, similar Napa auto parts car, but uh, for a different team and he'll be going about his program. You'll be going about uh, yours as well. But uh, where do you think the, the big competition is going to come from? Is it the locals who do understand these cars and they do understand uh, our, uh, our tracks and configurations? Yeah, I I think your your biggest competition is is yourself. Um, you know, getting through the point system and stuff for the classic is is really cutthroat. Um, every time you hit the track, you got to be on it. So, you know that you've got to have your car right. You've got to make the right decisions in traffic. You've got to do everything right to get yourself into a winning position, starting position. Because I think out of the probably 24 guys that'll start the race for the AMA. And I, I honestly believe 15 to 20 of those guys are capable of winning that race, you know, quite easily. So 
um, there's, there's going to be tough um, whether, you know, Brad sweets here or, or not. Um, you know, he's obviously the, the pinnacle of our sport right now. And, and obviously with forward of outlaws championship, he's, uh, he's on a high, so he's going to be tough, but um, he hasn't really been that successful at this track. So it'll be interesting to see how he, um, how he plays out, but yeah, there's a lot of great local talent here in Australia and, you know, guys like Jamie Veal and the guy Lockie McHugh who won it last year are on their game right now, winning a lot of races here. So it'll, uh, I think the next few races here in, in Australia with, uh, you know, a lot more, um, competition, uh, competition are coming with Americans and, you know, some of us Australians that race in America, it'll be interesting to see who's, who's on the game and, and who's fast. Awesome. We, uh, we're, we're looking forward to it. The, uh, we saw some nice uh, banter between yourself and Brad Sweet in the initial launch of the uh, Napa Auto Parts two-car team that are, that are coming out here. Both of you, of course, race uh, in World of Outlaws against each other. Uh, again, teammates, but uh, that, that cool American versus Australian rivalry is, is right there. You get along with uh, Brad. Okay. Are you going to be uh, comfortable beating him? Yeah. Yeah. We, we get along with friends off the track, pretty good friends off the track and have been for a long time. So we enjoy having a, having a couple beers together, but uh, once we strap that helmet on, it's uh, it's game on, you know, there's, we're not that friendly when we're, when we uh, put our helmets on with, you know, I want to be, the number one Napa car standing out out there. So uh, yeah, we're just gonna give it our give it our all, and and hopefully that's enough. It's uh, like I said, Brad's a Brad's a tough tough competitor, really good competitor. But you know, I've I'm in his homeland in America, so he's come back here, and um, he's where I grew up. So hopefully we can we can get the upper hand on him. Yeah, some home ground advantage. I like it. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and, and it makes me always, uh, ask, uh, or, or think when I think about, um, American, uh, speedway and sprint car circuits compared to Australia, our circuits are typically smaller. It's what you grew up on racing and you must certainly when you first went over to the States, you must've been blown away about how big some of those circuits are. So how big some of those tracks are. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a, it's a completely different way of driving. It's very aero dependent. You can do things with your car to, to mess the air up from the guy behind you. So it's something that I had no idea about, you know, growing up in Australia. So yeah, the first few nights over there was, was pretty daunting. And even now you go to some tracks and you, you know, you're doing 140 mile an hour and you're like, man, this is, this is pretty quick in a sprint car. So uh, yeah, just a different way of driving, different, obviously growing up and, you know, doing, I was probably racing eight years, 10 years before I went to America. So, um, yeah, growing up and, and having a completely different way of driving on a smaller track to then going over there and having to adjust everything that you've taught yourself and learned over the years is pretty tough for sure. And and a 90 race season, it just seems so foreign for uh, for Australians. And I know the Australian sprint car and, and speedway guys do do a lot in a very short period of time, but uh, it, it must be grueling going through the motions of uh, week to week racing in, in completely different parts of a very large country over there. What are, what are some of the biggest challenges? Yeah. So uh, 
we, my, my wife and my baby, uh, we live in a motorhome. Uh, so we just travel up and down the road in the motorhome to each of these races. I think, you know, we did, I'm talking in miles cause I've lived in America that long, but we did upwards of 20,000 miles this year in the motorhome. So it's, uh, it's grueling going up and down the road, you know, leaving a track at midnight, driving three or four hours down the road, sleeping in a Walmart car park to get to the next race by, you know, two o'clock in the afternoon. So and you're it's, allowed uh, to stay in the car park? The, yeah, uh, yeah. The authorities yeah, the don't knock on the door? No, no, no. Some some places, um, you know, you just try and find nice places to stay. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, it's a it's a pretty grueling schedule. Um, like I said, we we do so many miles. We, you know, five, we had four or five days to go from one side of the country to the other to get to a race. So yeah, it's... Uh, it's different. Um, I've, I've traveled my whole life with racing sprint cars and, you know, I would go over to America for a couple of months a year and just love it because it was the coolest thing ever. But now living there for, you know, 10 months of the year and having to, having to go up and down the road, it does take its toll on you. And, um, especially when the weather isn't cooperating or it's getting cold and starting to snow. So just a different lifestyle, um, something you have to prepare yourself for and, and mentally it gets pretty tough cruising up and down the road all the time and you know if you've had a bad night it's hard to pick yourself back up and and keep going because you know you've got another another night in the next couple of days so you just always got to stay positive and and you know try and get out of the the slump that you're in yeah uh cool okay uh so as soon as the uh you've done the classic and of course hopefully you win the classic you're jetting straight out effectively is that right yeah, yeah. Basically, got three or four days to um, pack everything up and and get everything organised, and we're uh, back to Florida um, on the fifth of February. Um, back into it for the start of the outlaw season on the seventh. So, yeah, we're we're wide open, mate. We don't get a lot of time mm-hmm. to to sort of chill out and um, you know enjoy being back in Australia. So we'll uh, yeah, we we get back get back to Volusia and um, yeah, start, start ripping around. I think we've got five nights in a row there. So it's uh, it's a busy schedule. Oh, very good. Okay. And uh, last question, this will be my first grand annual classic coming down for the uh, late January fixture that you've got and uh, really looking forward to it. I think I might've only been to Warnable once before having lived in Victoria, embarrassingly for uh, 20 odd years, I haven't, I've, I've only ever been there uh, for one single day. So for the classic, what is the dummy's guide to getting the most out of um, my first grand annual classic? Um, well, I think you'll be surprised just driving through the town and, and seeing, you know, that all the light poles have um, flags on them checkered flags on them. You've got cars getting worked on in the main street. You've got a lot of buzz around the town. Um, and then you'll go out to Premier Speedway and see, you know, people lined up at nine o'clock in the morning with their deck chairs trying to get a, uh, a good sitting spot. So I think the atmosphere is what's going to blow you away. Um, it's a natural amphitheater. So you've got, uh, you know, 10, 15,000 people sitting around a really small quarter mile track to, uh, you know, cheering and carrying on. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's an experience, um, that I think the atmosphere, and then you've got the noise and the 
you know, in the dirt from the cars. It's just um, the engine sound of a sprint car is is the best sounding engine that you'll ever hear. So um, I'm excited that you've never been there. I, um, you know, if you're ever going to go to a race in Australia, the Classic's the one to go to. So um, I think you'll have a great time and I'm sure it'll be uh, an eye-opening experience that you'll want to keep doing. Awesome. Cool. Well, can't wait to, can't wait to see you down there tearing it, uh, tearing it around and uh, hopefully beat, uh, beat that American who's coming out to race in those uh, similar colors as well. Looking forward to a little bit of extra banter between you guys and, uh, and seeing how the, um, the best of Australia goes up against the, uh, the effectively the, the best in the world, but uh James McFadden, thank you so much for joining us on uh, Parked Up and uh, we'll uh, all the very best for your uh, short little uh, short little stint build, building up to the classic. I appreciate it, mate. Thanks for having me on the show. And we thanks James McFadden for his time. And of course, if you sort of heard that, I've actually never been to a sprint car race before. So if you see me in Warrnambool, wandering around, having no idea, looking like I've got no idea what I'm doing, then please help me through my very first sprint car race. I really can't wait for it. Uh, it should be cool. I've seen sprint cars go uh, round and round before, but not at a uh, at an event like this. So I can't wait to get down there. And what a, a great way to spend a weekend watching one of the finest sprint car races in Australia, the finest sprint car race. Um, okay, here we go. Mark Fogarty, Garth Tander, the full interview. You haven't heard all of this before. You're about to now, and you're listening to Parked Up. Garth Tander, welcome back to Parked Up. Well, mate, I'm pretty sure almost nobody saw that one coming. Uh, big call to switch from the top team to, well, obviously an ambitious team. Uh, yes, it is. It's ambitious team is one good way to put it, but um, emerging would be another. Um, so yeah, look, it is a big call, um, but I'm looking forward to to the challenge. So how did it come about? How quickly did it come about? Oh, uh, reasonably quickly, reasonably quickly. Um, um, I had a, you know, there was a bit going on um, uh, and then it probably blew out a little while because we had some stuff going on at home in Perth um, that had to be dealt with. So that delayed everything by a couple of weeks. But um, yeah, look, it was it was reasonably quickly. Um, and yeah, deal done. So you obviously see some potential at Grove Racing. And Stephen Groves certainly has big ambitions. What do you see your role at the team in addition to obviously being their gun co-driver? Oh, look, um, a co-driver and a small cog in the wheel, if you like, um, as far as the driving roster goes. Um, my role also includes helping Matt Payne make the transition from Super 2 to main game um, and look that's all happened very quickly for Matt if you think about how quickly he came on the scene and how quickly he is now in the main game that's happened very quick and what we have seen in the past is um, 
Super 2 champions and, and gun Super 2 competitors that have made the jump to the main championship have really struggled um, because it is a massive step up in all aspects of the of the job. It's it's obviously a massive step up in, in intensity on track. It's a massive step up in the scale of the size of the race team. It's a massive step up in the requirements of you as a person off track uh, at race weekends and away from race weekends. So just helping Matt through all that is um, is is primarily one of my roles. Um, also, um, there is plans to further develop the Grove Junior Team, the academy that they have established that Matt is well was a part of. He's not part of it anymore because he's in the main game. So um, we have Oscar Target, Mika Limizre, and now Sebastian has joined the Junior Academy as well. So just formalising that a little bit more, putting a bit more structure around that and helping those kids on their particular journey. So um, my role is part of that as well. I'd imagine that your son being brought into that Grove Racing Junior scheme was a pretty significant factor in this decision. Uh, yeah, look, it was. But, um, and as I said in the re press release, Sebastian was going to be signed to Groves regardless if I signed or not. So um, it does look like you get one and one and equals two. Um, but you can ask Couchy the same. He came to a, a race, a kart race, to watch Oscar and Mika and saw that we were there and, and um, watched Sebastian. And he obviously knew of Sebastian's racing through my friendship with Couchy anyway. Um but then he actually rang me and, and we started talking. Um, and he said, well, I sort of asked him that. I said, well, is my signing dependent on Sebastian? And he said, well, no, not really. We're going to sign him anyway. So, um, so yes, it is, it is um, uh, very, very cool that we will work together in that aspect and that I'll be able to help him on his way but he has to work just as hard as the others i mean he is only nine so he's very very young but it's a great opportunity for him to be exposed to what mika is doing in karting and he's he runs at the front as a junior and then oscar who's just left karting who runs has been running in the front in europe so getting an understanding of what's required of him um, and not just hearing it just from dad um so so that is also um you know an exciting opportunity for him you mentioned your mentoring role with Matt Payne. Do you expect to be paired with him in the Enduros next year? Uh, there's no, um, nothing's been um, finalised about uh, who's driving with who yet. Um, there's, it's, not, um, um, it's not confirmed which way we'll go as a team. And once the um, team uh, makes an announcement on who the fourth driver will be or the other co-driver then we'll have a better understanding of how that's going to look and then we'll just see how the year goes and how the year progresses and um, how it all plays out and are you looking forward to gen three this new and hopefully very different type of car i am um i am looking forward to seeing what it's like i mean i drove the the Chev at Tasmania in April, but the cars have changed considerably since then. But 
the core package was there and um, and I enjoyed driving the car. I think it'll be a challenge uh, from a driver's perspective. It'll be a challenge from a engineering perspective. Um, and it'll be a challenge from a team perspective as well, you know, understanding how what makes it tick. So um, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it. I mean, I, I feel fortunate that I've been able to go through the initial iteration of Supercar into Project Blueprint into Car of the Future, which is probably called Gen 2 now, and then um, into this new phase with Gen 3 and the more, much more sort of control component aspect of the category. So, um, yeah, I'm excited to, to be a very small part of it. Mm. But you've defected. You're in a Ford. How are the fans yes. going to react? Oh, generally it's you'll lose 50% of those that followed you and gain 50% that previously hated you. So it sort of probably comes out a bit about even. Um, I've had a lot of, on social media, a lot of um, feedback saying, oh, how could you defect from Holden? How could you leave Holden? Well, the reality is there is no more Holden and you can't be loyal to something that doesn't exist. And I do feel incredibly proud and incredibly honoured to have driven a Holden for the entirety of the time that I was in supercars while they existed, but they don't exist anymore. They do. They are now GM and Chevrolet racing, but it's not Holden. Um, so if there was ever a time to make a change now was it, that's not the reasoning why I did it. It wasn't like, Oh, Holden's gone now. Now I can jump, but um, you know, it was nice to finish um, my last race in a Holden at Bathurst with a win uh, and, uh, and sign off that way. Well, no, it doesn't, doesn't get much better than that. No. Now, you were named Broadcaster of the Year, deservedly, very deservedly, in the Supercars Media Awards. So surely you're going to continue as part of the broadcast team next year. Uh, yeah, that's the plan. That's the plan, to continue to be part of that. And um, I very much enjoy being part of that team and continuing to develop my skill set as a um, broadcaster, if to use your term, folks. So, um, yeah, look, I still very much like, feel like I have the training wheels on and, and learning as much as I can um, in that role. But I do enjoy it. And um, yeah, I look forward to doing that much more. Well, it certainly looks like you've got a long future there. What about race driving? How many more years do you see yourself suiting up as a co-driver? And uh, will you be doing other things like GT again? Uh, well, co-driving, or at least two more years, because that's what we've signed up for. Um, and, but I mean, uh, and then I think you, you, you have to be realistic about it. You have to sit down and self-analyze and and look at yourself in the mirror and be comfortable that you're still contributing as a driver and you know obviously after Bathurst this year um you know that all went pretty well so um from a from if you look at it from an athlete point of view and and how you perform and could you do that again um I feel like yes I could do that again next year in 23 as a as an athlete and as an individual performing their role um and um you know so i'll be doing that at least 23 and 24 
and then um, there is options to go on further after that. Um, but I think realistically, you, you sit down after twenty four and, and decide: is it is it mutually beneficial for the team? Is it beneficial for me? Am am I still con contributing what needs to be contributed in that role? Um, and maybe that role might change. I don't know, but um, at least two more years, folks. And um, yeah, the plan is to do something similar to what I did this year, a couple of GT races along the way, just to, to stay sharp um, and um, and uh, just keep driving little bits here and there. I don't feel like I need to do full championships and, and 10 race, 12 race meetings a year anymore because, um, you know, I've done a lap or two and, um, you know, I've got a fair bit of muscle memory and the way that I prepared this year, I felt like I was as best prepared as I could be physically, mentally, and technically. So, um, you know, that worked very well. And, um, you know, I'll look to repeat something like that uh, in 23. Well, certainly sounds like plenty on your dance card for a few more years yet. And we look forward to seeing much more of you on the broadcast and on the track. Garth Tander, thanks for your time. Cheers, folks. Thank you, folks, and thank you, Garth. That was actually the first in-depth chat that anyone had done with Garth post the big announcement. So, uh, folks, very quickly on the phone to make sure that he uh, got that chat. But, uh, yeah, I think um, a big change for Garth, but uh, so many exciting opportunities for him and uh, such a, a big change to drive a Ford, but Garth is a racer. And while he's been extremely loyal to Holden and General Motors over the years, uh, and they've also been extremely loyal to him, Garth is a racer and he's going to go out there and do his uh, absolute best for his new team, as well as all the other little things that he has going on with uh, commentary duties and uh, trying to turn his uh, young children also into motor racing superstars as well with their go-karting, which he is uh, wildly passionate about. So uh, we wish Garth Tander all the very best in 2023 and beyond. Okay, so the next chat is Fogues again, who spoke to David Noble. David Noble, former North Melbourne Football Club coach, uh, he's worked in AFL for some time through administration and through playing as well. But now he takes on a completely different role, being the CEO of Australia's oldest current supercars team, Dick Johnson Racing. It's known as the family team. And while they were probably disappointed with this year's results, finishing fourth and fifth in the title chase, having had so many uh, great seasons recently with Scott McLaughlin and three championship wins. It's now three years since that team has tasted success in supercars. And uh, I guess all DJR fans will be hoping that uh, the man who you're about to hear from is the one who can uh, bring back a little bit of that magic spark. So here it is, Mark Fogarty from Parked Up Plus with David Noble, the new CEO of DJR, and you're listening to Parked Up. David Noble, welcome to Parked Up. Now, going from AFL coach to the CEO of a supercars team, well, that's unusual. So how did mm. it happen? Yeah, g'day, Mark. Um, well, look, I, I guess before I'd been at North, you know, 
I'd worked in the the administration the last four or five years at Adelaide and then at Brisbane. The direction I'd been working on was, you know, executive roles working towards a CEO role. Um, took a slight U-turn, you know, to North as a in the coaching fraternity, and I'd had a you know a long history of coaching, but I guess you know my my passion beyond that coaching side was now in adding more value internally in an organisation. Um, and so, look, yeah, when I had a chat to, to Dr. Ryan's story several weeks ago now, um, it really, you know, grabbed my interest. Uh, I've gone back to do a bit of study as well. And yeah, over a period of time, I had a chat to the, the owners and look, here we are. Was it something you'd ever thought about? Did you think of joining a supercars team? If I'm being honest, probably, yes, it would be the answer, but I never felt that it would ever come to fruition. You know, our our sports w- would always collide. You know, the the programs ran about the same time. I never thought, you know, how I would ever move into, you know, motorsport in that sense. Um, you know, I've watched the V8s for a long, long time, been a closet, closet follower, you know, since I was a kid. But never thought that the opportunity would, you know, legitimately present itself. And, you know, when when I had a bit of a sabbatical this year, I certainly went and talked to a lot of different sports, a lot of different people. Um, spent some time to sort of, I guess, reset my thinking. And yeah, it's um, it's it's certainly a very vibrant, energetic, and and well respected industry that I've now stepped into. So you really are a long time motor racing fan, and look. With respect, I ask mm. that because almost everyone who comes into motorsport from the outside says, oh, yeah, I'm a fan. I've been, you know, I've watched Bathurst <laughs> since I was a kid. Well, you know, that's like me saying I've watched the AFL Grand Final, you know, yeah, that's right. all my life. Yeah. But I'm not an AFL fan. So you really are a race fan? Yes, I've watched the series, you know, over a number of years. Um I grew up in Tassie and probably the only thing that used to get televised down there was was Bathurst on the weekend post the VFL Grand Final. And then once the TV coverage improved, um, yeah, I, I was a regular. You know, I'd, I'd stay up late watching the replays if I couldn't get there, um, following all the different, you know, drivers as they came through. Um, and interestingly enough, when we went to uh, Brisbane, you know, I used the supercars as an avenue to try to improve some of the commercialization of, of sponsorship with our players around, you know, how many sponsors the, the supercar teams were able to generate. And so we sort of used that as a bit of a template. But look, yeah, um, yeah, so, and look, I like the F1s as well, but I've certainly taken an interest in, in watching the rounds over the years. Oh, well, that's interesting. And yeah, there is actually a lot of crossover oddly mm. among the followers between AFL and Supercars as well. And just going back to how you got there, I'm just wondering, well, I kind of see in this a link with Brett Ralph, the majority mm. owner of the team who has interests in a number of sports properties in Melbourne. Was he a factor? Yep. Yeah, he was. Yeah, for sure. Um, the initial conversations though were, were clearly with Ryan that was where my first port of call was uh, and came from um, Ryan asked me to 
to go to Bathurst, which I, I went to Bathurst. I was lucky enough to get an invitation to go there. Met Brett, Brett for the first time. Um, and then look in the pursuing weeks beyond that, had several conversations with um, all the owners, Dick, uh, Ryan and Brett. So, um, yeah, so it was, it was great to get a, a sense of where they felt the organisation was, what they were looking for, um, you know, and I guess my capacity to complement, you know, Ryan's capacity on a day-to-day basis was something that was was very exciting. Okay, so let's make clear what your role is. Uh, you're not going to be like your previous job out there on the field, yelling at the players or not, <laughs> trying to G them up. So what are you doing there? Day-to-day. So it's hands-on, day-to-day running of the business, um, working closely with our commercial team. You know, we've got some fantastic partners that have been long-standing, making sure that, you know, the team downstairs is functioning through Benny Croke, who does a terrific job as our team principal, um, looking at, I guess, new avenues of you know, income potentially going forward over the next few years as to what that might look like, uh, building up a, a relationship with supercars itself. You know, I met Adrian over the weekend and, you know, that that's always important to have, you know, head office, a good relationship with head office. So that's that's my day-to-day role, a, a pretty much a traditional CEO type of role, really. As you mentioned, you were at the Adelaide 500 in your new official capacity. You were watching and presumably taking it all in. What did you mm-hmm. learn? I learned that there's a lot of similarities across the sports and that that both correlates to our great partners. I was lucky enough to meet quite a few of our partners from Shell V-Power, um, Beaver, Repco, uh, Pertec. Um, you know, they are very passionate, very passionate partners. Um, same as, you know, the alternate sport, the pre-race in, in race strategy post debrief, very similar to, to AFL. So there's a lot of similarities in, um, you know, how the team on the on the day executes the race um, and the information that's that's pushed on to the drivers. Um, the thing that I I do think is a huge point of difference, Mark, is is our ability to engage with our fans. You know, our our drivers are certainly very uh, welcoming. You know, they do a great job. You know, and I think. The, the drivers right across the competition. Um, now our ability to have corporates and partners and guests coming in for pit tours, it's a very open, engaging um, environment that, that we have it in, um, in supercars. It's indeed a very different atmosphere in terms of mm. fan contact compared with others. And it's, well, the ball and sports, it's, anyway. Yeah, and look, and it's very well respected too. You know, the fans are fantastic. They they understand. They're always pretty polite and courteous, you know, when the drivers have come out of practice or they're heading into a into a race. So, yeah, it was, it was really refreshing to see. And will you get involved with the team at races? Will you go to most, if not all, of the races? And, I don't know, occasionally are you going to go coach on them, give them a motivational <laughs> rev up? Uh I don't I don't see that as my role. Uh, yes, I'll go to all the races. Um, you know, I'll, I'll certainly, if there's some elements there of process, um, you know, I'd like to get to understand 
you know, and, and work with Ben and his crew as to what, the, just to understand, I guess, the strategies around what we're actually doing. Um, but I don't, I don't see myself as having a, you know, a, a race day role, um, to be honest with you. That I, that's not why I've come into the organisation. I think there's similarities, as I said to you, with coaches box, with flow of information, you know, decision-making, clarity of message. Like they're, they're just simple things that I think a lot of top-level sports have, you know, particularly from a, an interchange bench or from a, in our case, in the pits, um, but I don't see myself having a hands-on role um, in that sense. Like all our staff here, yeah, I'll certainly be talking to our drivers, trying to continue to help um, provide them, you know, an environment that's going to allow them to improve. So, but that'll be same with all of our staff. You know, we want to create an environment that allows our staff to continue to grow, improve, um, you know, generate sustained success over you know a long period of time. So it sounds like there there is some room for some footy style team building. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I think um, you know whether it's your cultural piece, whether it's your values piece. Um, you know the group works so closely. You know together. Um, you know from pit stops to changes to preparations of of the cars even though they're you know they're mechanical there's lots of similarities um there's no doubt so i think beyond though the football aspect there's elements of being an agile environment you know there's making sure that our strategic plan is really clearly set so our both our people internally and our partners understand what it is we're trying to achieve what is it that we're trying to achieve what's the outcome from our partners as well so I think it's a bigger piece than just the the football correlation. It's certainly trying to set up our our organisation to be able to execute as a at a high level um, as a as a really strong successful enterprise. While you're here, it's always struck me that one of the great stereotypes of sports team management has been that when there's doubt about your future. Mm-hmm. The administration or the board comes out in full support of the coach or the team manager, which invariably it's, it's, it's the kiss of death. Well, is it, is it true? I mean, did that happen to you at North Melbourne? Were there alarm bells when they came out in support of you? Um, Well, look, I'd been around long enough to know that if, if our performance, you know, didn't improve, then there's obviously a decision that the board's got to make. Um, I, I don't, for one minute begrudge the fact that the board has to make a decision um, and understand that, you know, I took the position on knowing full well what the the benefits were, but also knowing what the risks are. Um, I would have liked more time to maybe be able to turn that around. I think, you know, it was sort of 30 odd games, but look, they made their decision. Um, I learned a lot out of it. You know, I think it's important that you take your learnings from it. I've, you know, reset myself and move forward. And, you know, I certainly don't, don't regret my time at North. I wish them all the best for the, for the coming year. Hopefully some of the things that we've been able to, I don't know, put in place and expose some of the players to will, will hold them in good stead going forward. But they're in good hands with Alistair. Um, you know, I, I work with Sonia Hood closely. And, yeah, I, I wish them every success. Well, I think you're being very gracious there because... 
I would have been getting nervous when they came up in support of you and then a few weeks later you're gone. Yeah. Oh, well, but that's, yeah, look, that that's the caper, isn't it? You know, that's that's elite-level sport. We felt we had a, a solid three-year to five-year plan and understanding, but, look, things change. I, I get it. Um, wasn't pleasant. <laughs> it's, you know, it's it's difficult. There's no doubt it was a difficult time. Um, but, yeah, I've, we've certainly I've processed that. Um, as I said, reset where I want to go, and, you know, I'm just... I'm absolutely ecstatic to be working at such a an iconic, you know, organisation that is just chock-a-block full with just great people. Indeed. Looking forward then, mm-hmm. this season was one of, well, you'd say mixed results. Yep. For DJR. Is there a plan to get the team back on top in 2023? Yeah, there is. It's, I... Yeah, we're in the process of just going through to evaluate, you know, where we finished at the end of the year. Obviously, the equipment's going to change next year. But for us, it'll be about just reviewing what our processes were like. Um, that I think that's my initial part of, I think, what we need to do, you know, and at the end of the year. You know, our team needs a break. You know, they've been going flat out. Um, you know, we've done, the boys. some of the boys here have done a lot of work on the, the new Gen 3. Um, so, you know, our, our team's really looking for a refresh, you know, getting towards the end of, I think by the time we get to the end of next week, we'll go and have a good break. Be back here early January to, to start to get our, our heads around the Gen 3 side of things, mate, and, and start to move forward. So, yeah, but I think, I think you're right. I think we had some good podiums some good polls in the early part of the year. We probably had a quiet middle period. Um, great to get a lockout on Sunday with Anton, you know, finishing in third. So, yeah, next year brings a whole new scope of challenges. There's no doubt about that. David Noble, thank you for your time. Good to have you in supercars and all the best for next year. Thanks, Mark. Pleasure. Thank you, folks. Thank you, David Noble. And thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of Parked Up, episode 178. We've been building these for a long time, and we certainly appreciate you guys listening to all of them as we uh, chip our way through to the end of 2022. We've got a couple more episodes of Parked Up to come out before this year wraps up we'll have another parked up plus and uh another parked up which i reckon i might get my old mate tony d to come and join uh and he can tell everyone what he's bought me for christmas which is likely to be absolutely nothing but that's okay that's probably all i really deserve so uh merry christmas to everyone uh stay tuned there's still some more christmas listening to come before big old santa comes flying down chimneys and uh delivering Uh, All of you guys, heaps of uh, presents. But uh, look, for now, that's it. See you later. See you next week. You've just listened to another Network R production. 